I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There is none like Him, none like Him. He is worthy of every song we could sing, every melody we could compose, every note we could play, every word we can speak, every breath we can take every action we can do in our lives. He is worthy that all of them would be aimed at Him. He is absolutely worthy. And He is worthy in such a way that when He speaks, we listen. And He has spoken in His Word. And so we come to His Word this morning. I want to read the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray together. Our Father, You are worthy. All things are from You and through You and to You. We recognize that the words in front of us, which we will study today, are from You that they have been breathed out by You through the pen of the Apostle Paul, that it is only through You, through Your help, that we will understand them. And so we ask that Your Spirit will illumine these words for us, that they will shine as they have never shined before, that if they have grown dull in our hearts, that You would polish them up, that they might be bright and beautiful in our hearts. And we recognize that ultimately these words are to You. They are spoken that we might know You and glorify You in our lives and in the church. And so we pray for that. Grant grace for us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's often been said that we now live in a post-Christian society. Now, what that does not mean is that there are no more Christians around. What it means is that Christianity, generally speaking, is not as influential in society as it has been at other times. Now, we should not begin to idealize 
any decade or period of time in our nation's history or in the world's history for that matter because every nation, including ours, has deep and dark skeletons in its closet. But generally speaking, there was a time when Christian principles were a kind of glue that held things together. There was a general respect for, say, the Bible as authoritative, where Christian ideals and ethics were understood and accepted as normative. But we are certainly beyond that time, wouldn't you agree? This shift is actually exemplified in a video I saw this last week. There was a man who posted a video somewhere. I can't remember where I stumbled on it. But he wanted to do a day in the life of Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is an actor, and he has this very rigorous schedule where he gets up at 2.30 in the morning and does all manner of things during the day, works out more than twice, I think, which is approximately two more times than I do each day. So he does all of this, and then he goes to bed at like 7.30 so he can get up the next morning and do it all over again. Well, this guy wanted to see what it was like to live a day in the life of Mark Wahlberg. So he begins, he gets up at 2.30 in the morning and immediately questions the wisdom of his decision to uh, do this day in the life thing. But then the first item on the list at 2.45 a.m. is prayer. Now, I don't know what Mark Wahlberg means by prayer, but this man's response to it really struck me. This is what he said. I went back and I wrote down his words, word for word. I've never prayed before in my life. I'm not sure how people do this. So for me today, I'm just going to watch a video about Oprah because I guess she's the closest thing to God that I can think of. Just one small bit of evidence in a sea of evidence that we live in a post-Christian society. Now, Timothy, who received this letter that we are studying, he did not live in a post-Christian world. But there are striking similarities between his world and ours. People wandering away from biblical truth into myths, into lies, into deception. People laying aside biblical morality to satisfy sinful desires. The world of the first century and the 21st century may vary in many, many ways, but the heart of those who lived then is the same as the heart of those who live now. In that sense, there really is nothing new under the sun, is there? It comes up over and over again. The question is, what are we to do then? What are we to do when the Bible is not understood or respected? What are we to do when biblical morality is being abandoned left and right, when the culture signs, shows no signs of wanting to submit to God, when preaching is held in low regard, when those inside the church want entertainment rather than exhortation, what are we to do? Are we just to bang our fists on our desk and scream at the world? No. Paul actually answers that question here. Because this is the world in which Timothy is living. And do you know what he says? He says, in the midst of all that chaos, in the midst of people wandering away to believe lies and deception, in the midst of immorality, like we read at the beginning of chapter 3, where people are lovers of self and lovers of money and not lovers of God at all. What is it that you're to do, Timothy? Preach the Word. That's what you're to do. You're to preach 
the Word. Moses preached the Word in the establishment of Israel. The prophets preached the Word to Israel in rebellion. Ezra preached the Word in the reestablishment of Israel. John the Baptist preached the Word to prepare people for the coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus preached the Word perfectly, the only perfect preacher there is, in His earthly ministry. Jesus' disciples were trained and sent to fill in the blank, preach the Word. In Acts, the Holy Spirit empowers the apostles to preach the Word, and through the preaching of the Word, local churches are planted and strengthened, and Acts finishes with Paul in prison preaching the Word. So now when Paul is handing down the baton of ministry to Timothy, it's no surprise that Timothy's work is not going to be a new work. He doesn't need to come up with his method. He doesn't actually need to have a strategy session about what it is he ought to do in Ephesus. It's the same work God's used throughout history. It's the same work that God uses today. Preach the Word. Now, let's think about this. I mean, you'll notice right off the bat that there is the command to preach. Look at verse 2. All of these verbs actually in verse 2 are imperatives. They are commands. And all of the subsequent commands flow out of the main one, which is right at the beginning of verse 2, preach the Word. Now, you notice this is a serious command. Now, Nobody would raise their hand and say, you know, well, some of the commands aren't really serious. Like, we don't have to take those seriously, but we should take these seriously. No, all of God's commands are serious, but there is special weight added to this by the preface that Paul gives in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word." In the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, who is going to appear, come, judge the world, establish His kingdom, reign forever. Timothy, you are serving in the presence of this Jesus. His eye is watching you. His ear is listening to you. When you stand before them, don't you dare do anything but preach the Word. Don't do other things. Preach the Word. Preaching is not meant to be taken lightly. It's not a mere performance meant to please an audience. And so, uh, you know, the, the, when we used to have, we don't have them right now, but when we used to have the communication cards in the back of the pews, you should know that those aren't actually intended to be comment cards, like, you know, the judge's cards on American Idol or something. Like, well, this is, uh, the second point was a little bit sluggish. I could have used a bit more laughing this morning, you know, this kind of thing. This is not what actually preaching is meant to be. Preaching is also not a high school graduation speech. You know, you remember, you, you've been through those, haven't you? You're not actually there for the speech, but you'll endure it because it's going to happen anyway. That's not what preaching is meant to be. Well, I only go for the music, but I just put up with, you know, the fact that they're going to preach week after week. Preaching, friends, 
is worship. It is worship for me as I am preaching now, and it is worship for you as you are listening now. It is aimed to please God so that the way that I approach preaching must be to please the Lord. The way that you listen to preaching must be to please the Lord. It's a serious command, but it's also a specific command. Timothy's not just told to preach. You notice that? Don't just proclaim whatever happens to come to mind or seems good. He's to preach the Word. Definite article, the Word. This is the Word that Paul spoke about in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And in verse 15, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. It's the Word that God has spoken through the prophets, through the apostle. It's the sword of the Spirit. With it, and with it we are equipped for the spiritual warfare of life. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. It is sweeter than honey. It is more precious than gold. It's a mirror showing you your true self, your heart, and what needs to change. It will never fade. It will never change. It will never diminish in authority. It never returns void. It always accomplishes everything that God intends it to do. It points us to the Word who became flesh, Jesus Christ, His his ministry, His death, His resurrection, the salvation He has accomplished for us. According to 1 Peter, it brings new birth. We have been born again. And it sanctifies us. This is what Jesus prayed. Sanctify them according to your truth. Your word is truth. Preach this word. Do not come to the pulpit with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other or your tablet that has the newspaper drum, if you can find a physical newspaper. Bring your Bible and preach the Word. Don't come with the balloting ticket. Preach the Word. Because you see, preaching the Word will equip you for all of the other things will equip you to read, to read your news source differently. Preaching the Word will equip you to approach the balloting ticket in a particular way. Preaching the Word is the way that God has established to save and sanctify His people and to bring to completion His work on this earth. How could we do anything else? Don't just sit up here and have a conversation. Don't take the preaching out and substitute it with a, a, a cantata. Let's not just all get... Look, it'd be wonderful if we just got, got together and prayed for an hour, but look, on Sunday, we have to open up the Bible and preach it. When we have prayer meetings, you know what we do in prayer meetings? Well, on Sunday night, first Sunday nights, we sing... We open the Word so that God speaks to us, and then we pray. Because prayer is responsive speech. All, all speech is responsive speech. It's how you learned how to talk. It didn't just come to you. You were responding to the speech of others. That's why some of us have a glorious southern accent. But our speech and prayer is a response. 
But wait a second, can we, can we sing true things? Didn't we just sing a bunch of really true things in music? Absolutely. But is that what God has commanded us to only do when we gather? More than our words to God, we need God's word to us. So it is a specific command. Preach the word. Of all the words that we hear, and you've heard thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe even this week, one word rules them all. And it's this word. It's the word that must be clearest in our minds. It's the word that must be dearest in our hearts. It's a specific command. It's also a set command. It never changes. It never alters. It never gets sidelined for anything else. Look at what, look at what he says in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, there have been a number of speculations on this. The root word of both of those in season and out of season is the word kairos, which is the same word that we saw in chapter 3, verse 1, when Paul tells Timothy that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. That word times is the same here, times, season. It's like what Ecclesiastes says, there is a time and a season for everything. Well, it's interesting that there must be some circumstances in life where there is a time to speak and a time to be silent, but for the one who has the Word of God in his hand and people in front of him, there is no time to be silent. You must preach in season. You must preach out of season. You see, Timothy, circumstances will change, responsiveness will change, attitudes will change, but the preacher's task does not change. When people come with open Bibles and open hearts, when people are being saved, when the church is experiencing revival, when fruit is popping up everywhere, when there's just, just glorious things abounding in every corner of the room, Timothy, preach the Word. Don't think that you're done preaching the Word. Don't think that it's just like setting a ball at the top of the hill and you just have to get it rolling in the right direction and you can stop pushing at some point. Preach the Word. But also when people are lax in coming to hear preaching, when you see no visible fruit, when there is antagonism from outside the church and when there is apathy inside the church, when people want you to stop Charles Simeon, when he went to his first pastorate, the people did not want him at all. This was the day, uh, I don't know if you know this, but in, the, in, in, in other times, in former centuries, the pews had little doors on the sides of them, and they would lock. And the keeper of the, the, I can't, the caretaker of the building locked the pews so that no one could sit in them and listen to Charles Simeon preach. He is a faithful, faithful man. So they started bringing chairs to the aisles, and they filled all the aisles. And it took 10 years before those pews got unlocked. When things are like that, you know what you should do? Preach the Word. Now, it's this particular out-of-season time that Paul really wants to prepare Timothy for because these are the days when discouragement can, be, can set in. These are the days when you can be tempted to reach for something else, some other method, some program, maybe even alter the message just a bit. 
And Paul's particularly concerned for Timothy because that season is coming. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Look around you, Timothy. People have itching ears. And the thing is, when you preach faithfully, when you preach sound doctrine, that will not scratch the itch of these ears. So they'll go elsewhere. They'll only be satisfied by teachers who will say what they want to hear. They'll be like, you ever had your dog come up to you because they really need like their belly rubbed or right behind their ears scratched and they keep nudging at you with nudging and nudging until you just get that one spot? That's what these people are going to do. They're going to go out and they're going to keep nudging every teacher until they start scratching the itch that makes them go, ah, this is what I've been looking for. Finally, someone who really speaks to me. But, Timothy, that is the very reason why you must keep preaching the Word. They will stop nudging you to preach, Timothy. They will tell you you're a bit too passionate. You keep saying the same things over and over again. You keep on this Word business and obedience business and repentance business and faith business and loving one another business and glorifying God business. Can we get on to something else? Nudge, nudge, nudge. Timothy, don't even, don't even think about reaching your hand down there to scratch that itch. You preach the Word. You preach the Word, and you preach the Word. It's like, you know, they say in real estate, you know, what's the name of the game? Location, 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 right? Well, in, in pastoral ministry, you know what the name of the game is? Preach the Word, preach the Word, preach the Word. That's it. I have no other tricks up my sleeve. I have no... Chad and I don't have magical formulas or programs that we've sat around designing. Do you know what we seek to do? Create environments in which this Word will get to people, to hearts, to minds. That's what the elders... I mean, the elders, when we go away to pray and to plan, we're not trying to come up with some new strategy. We actually keep coming back to just being faithful to do what we're meant to do and to do it more faithfully and to do it more diligently and to keep on and to keep on and to keep on and to keep on and to keep on. Preach the Word. It's serious. It's specific. It's set. Look, and this just isn't for pastors to hear. I mean, this should really shape our commitment as a church, so that we collectively should take preaching seriously, that we collectively should insist that it is God's Word that is being preached week in and week out, that no matter what the season of the culture may be or the season in the church may be, we ought not to start thinking there's a better method. Preach the Word. 
Now, on a more personal level, let me ask you a question. What are your ears itching to hear when you come to worship? Because the answer to that question will tell you whether your priorities are aligned with God's priorities. The only water that will satisfy is the water of the Word. There is a thirst that is deeper than the scratching of an itch. And the only thing that will satisfy it is constantly, consistently, deeply, regularly, openly, honestly, willingly listening to the preaching of God's Word. The command to preach But also, Paul doesn't just command him to preach. He also gives him the aim of preaching, the aim of preaching. Now, just so that we're clear, preaching is not the same as teaching, okay? Preaching and teaching are not equivalent in the New Testament. Their aims are different. Teaching gives instruction. It explains things like meanings of the words, connections of phrases, the cultural, historical background, all of these kinds of things. But preaching goes beyond teaching. Okay, it's like in geometry. Sorry to bring up math on a Sunday morning, but it's like in geometry when we say that squares are rectangles, but rectangles are not squares. Why? Because there's more to being a square than just being a rectangle, right? If you don't know that, you can Google it later. Not now. Google it later. Learn the difference. But all squares are rectangles. All rectangles are not squares because there's something more to being a square. The same is true in preaching and teaching. Preaching is teaching, but teaching is not preaching because there is more to preaching than simply teaching. And we learn that because of the words that Paul uses in verse 2. He tells them to be ready in season and out of season, and then he uses these three words, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In the Greek language, these are not teaching terms. The difference is the aim of preaching. Preaching goes beyond explaining what the Word of God says. What it does is it brings God's Word to bear on us as human beings. So preaching reproves. Preaching reproves. Meaning that it exposes all that's wrong in us. I mean, here's the thing. I, don't, I may not know the secrets that lie in your heart. I don't know the secrets that lie on your phone or on your web browser or in your social media or behind closed doors. I may not even know your name. But when the Word of God is preached, isn't it interesting that even though that pastor may know nothing about you, somehow God reaches down and opens up the closet door of your heart where you thought you were hiding sinful things and just exposes them. Preaching reproves. Preaching also rebukes. Rebuking here is a warning of the danger of what's actually in the closet. Once the closet door is open, it calls sin what it is, sin. 
It tells us plainly and powerfully that it's wrong and that you simply can not do that. It said, rebuking says this. Ready? This is, those of you who know of Bob Newhart will know these two words. Stop it. You know that sketch? Brenda Purcell sent it to me just this week on video. That's what rebuking says. Rebuking looks us right in the eyes and says, stop it. It opens up the closet door to expose, and then it says, stop that. And then preaching exhorts. It appeals for a change. It urges us to grow. It pleads for repentance. It calls us to respond in faith and live by faith. So now put this in another context because uh, remember when the, the disciples are scattered, they go about preaching the Word, not just the apostles, but everybody. They're preaching the gospel everywhere they go. Well, what does that mean? It means they're doing more than just laying out the bare facts. They're not just saying Jesus lived a righteous life, Jesus died a sacrificial death, He rose gloriously on the third day, He ascended to heaven, He will return, and He will judge the living and the dead. Preaching, the, that is the gospel, that is the, the summation of the gospel facts. Preaching the gospel says, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Just laying out, preaching goes beyond that. It exposes, it says, all have sinned. That's how preaching the gospel reproves. All have sinned. Every single one of us. You've seen those uh, videos of Ray Comfort walking around with, uh, you know, the video cameras right here, and he's going, and he says, you ever told a lie? Yeah. And what does that make you? A liar. What's he doing? He's reproving. He's seeking to expose sin. And then, preaching the gospel rebukes by saying, God will not accept you that way. You must actually not do that at all. You must be perfectly righteous. It's a rebuke we can never live up to, actually. And then it exhorts us to do what? To turn from our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that His death is sufficient for our uh, forgiveness, and that His life is the merit that we trust in to stand right before God. And if you are not a believer in Jesus, that is exactly what God would call you to this morning, is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. But that's what preaching it is. Preaching is to take the Word of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we go around, you know, with our, uh, you know, with our fists waving at people and these kinds of things. It's not actually meant to be harsh at all. It is meant to be passionate. I mean, my goodness. It is meant to be passionate. How can you not be passionate about the fact that the world is dying and going to hell and you have been given a message to save them? But it's not harsh. Look at, look at uh, the end of verse 2. How is Timothy to do it? With complete patience. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's as if Paul's guaranteeing they may not listen the first time or the second time or the third time or the hundredth time or the two hundredth time. I mean, just last fall, a brother, uh, a man came to faith in Jesus Christ in our 
congregation. He had been at more growth groups maybe than any of us. He had been in every worship service, and it took four years of him hearing the gospel over and over and over, and not just from here, but from you. Complete patience. Don't be willing to give up on anybody, Timothy. And also with teaching. We already said that. With teaching. There should be teaching involved. But the aim is to bring the Word of God to bear on the souls of human beings. Don't just put it out there, Timothy. Press it home. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. Preaching is that which deals with the total person. The hearer becomes involved and knows that he has been dealt with and addressed by God through this preacher. Something has taken place in him and in his experience, and it is going to affect the whole of life. That's what preaching should do. I wonder, how do you pray for yourself when you're preparing for Sunday morning? People often pray for the pastor, right, or pray for the praise team, or pray for those who are not believing when they co- if they would come. I wonder how you pray for yourself. What if you started to pray, God, would you reprove me today? Would you rebuke me today? Would you exhort me today? Would you make it clear to me that I have been dealt with by you? Now, that seems like it goes against our, you know, it goes against the flesh for sure, but Proverbs 12:1 says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It just can't be any plainer than that. It's a way you can pray for your friends when you bring them as well, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Last thing, the the man who preaches. So we've seen the command to preach and the aim of preaching, but now... Paul concludes the paragraph by looking at the man who preaches. As for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. No matter how well ministry goes, Timothy, no matter how poorly it goes, whether it seems like there's progress or regress, whether it's smooth sailing or rough sledding, here's what you got to be always sober-minded. Now, I really like the NIV here. If you have an NIV in front of you, it says, keep your head in all situations. Keep your head. Don't lose your head. Think clearly. Don't let your mind get fuzzy. Don't get distracted by all that's swirling around you in the world. Keep your head. And then endure hardship. Now, he's already been saying this. In chapter 1, verse 8, and in chapter 2, verse 3, he said, share in suffering. And then in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, all who want to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he's preparing him for this, but now he says, endure hardship. Suffer well. Don't whine about your trials. Endure. Don't complain about persecution. Endure. Don't be overcome by discouragement when they leave to chase after other teachers. Endure. Don't stop trusting the Lord in the tribulations of life. Endure. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, the noun here, evangelist, is only used three times in the New Testament. Now, Paul's not calling Timothy an evangelist. He's saying, do the work of an evangelist. Of course, we're all responsible for sharing the gospel. But what Paul's telling Timothy is, look, while you are fighting for the life and health of the church, don't turn a blind eye to the unbelieving world. Don't forget, 
While you're calling Christians back to faithfulness, call the world to faith. Keep preaching Christ and Him crucified. And then fulfill your ministry. Leave nothing undone. Don't get lazy. Don't get lethargic. Don't get apathetic. Don't let burnout set in. Don't let cynicism stop you. Because Paul wants Timothy to say, to echo what he said in Acts 20, verse 24 to the Ephesian elders, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. These are the marks of the man who preaches. This is what it needs to be. This is what I need to be, level-headed. I need to suffer well. I need to keep unbelievers in view. I need to finish the course that Christ has marked out for me. Do you want to know how you can pray for me? Pray these things. Do you want to know how you can pray for our elders? Pray these things. Pray that we will be sober-minded men, that we will keep our head in every situation. It has been said multiple times by multiple pastors that these are very difficult days to shepherd the church in. And there, there's no doubt that that's true. And do you know what pastors need in the midst of these COVID-19 days? A level head. We need to keep our head in every situation. Pray that we'll endure hardship, whether it comes in our families or in our ministries, that we'll exemplify what it means to suffer well, that we will rejoice in the Lord always, that we'll walk by faith and not sight. Pray that we'll do the work of an evangelist, that as we shepherd the flock here, that we'll keep, we'll never stop seeking those who are harassed and helpless because they don't know Jesus, our good shepherd. And pray that we will fulfill our ministry, doing everything that's laid before us to glorify God and for the good of this congregation so that we will be able to say at the end of our lives what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 7. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Brother, elders, that's what we want to say at the end of life. Certainly every Christian does, but that's what we want to say. Not a step of the race was left unrun. Not a swing in the fight was left unswung. I finished. Now you still may be wondering how this all relates to you. I hope not. But let me ask just a few questions, and then we'll be done. Do you want people to come to faith in Jesus here on Sunday morning? Now? Do you want Christians to grow in our church and become like Jesus? Do you want that? These are not rhetorical questions. Do you want that? Do you want our congregation to be strengthened? Yes? Do you want this church family to be unmoved by the ever-changing ideas of culture? Do you want to remain unmoved? Do you want God to be glorified through our obedience? Do you know what all those yeses mean? We must preach the Word. We must. More than the air we breathe, we need the Word God speaks. These bodies will die anyway, but our souls, 
This is what's eternal. Preach the word. Let's pray. Oh God, how thankful we are that you are a speaking God and that in your kindness you ordain that men stand and open your word and preach it so that we might be reproved and rebuked and exhorted. We pray, God, that we will be a congregation committed to preaching the word, that we will recognize that your watching eye is on us, that your listening ear leans in when we gather, and we will preach the word. We pray that no matter what season may come or go in culture or in the church culture at large or in this specific church, we will preach the word. We pray that when people wander off to find things that will scratch their itch, we will preach the word. And we pray, God, that you will make those who stand here and preach the word, those who keep their head in every situation, who endure hardship, who do the work of evangelist, who fulfill their ministry of preaching the word. It is your word we need. So give us grace to stay at this, this most important task. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all the rest of this day and this week and forevermore. Amen.